Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Chertel-Tau from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today are two guests from the FBI. We have Matt Charles, who's Unit Chief in the Counterintelligence Division, and Michelle Liu, Supervisory Special Agent in the Cyber Division. And today we're going to be talking about economic espionage. Matt, Michelle, thank you for joining us. Matt, why don't we start with you? We hear the term economic espionage, uh, but I'm not sure everyone knows what it means. What does it mean in practice? Sure. And thanks, Adam, for having us today on the call. Uh, Economic espionage generally refers to the taking of trade secret information um, without authorization and providing that information for the benefit of a foreign government. What that typically looks like in practice, as we've seen in a number of FBI cases, for example, is you'll have, say, an employee at a victim or target company in the United States, perhaps working on a, a sensitive project subject to a non-disclosure agreement, and then um, that employee will uh, look for an opportunity to leverage that information uh, to benefit a foreign power or foreign actor overseas, oftentimes also for the uh, monetary benefit of the the person taking the uh, information as well. So that's very scary stuff. How does the FBI investigate economic espionage? Sure, so economic espionage uh, impacts several FBI programs, um, both specifically in the category of what we call e- economic espionage and also uh, trade secret and cybersecurity information as well. Um, so the FBI, within the counterintelligence division tries to look upstream as far as we can to identify uh, actors who might be coming into the United States and looking to get access to sensitive U.S. technology, whether that's technology used by the government uh, or um, technology from private sector companies as well. Um, And then within the cyber division, uh, we also maintain partnerships with uh, a number of private sector companies to um, identify uh, nefarious conduct on their networks and hopefully um, catch that before it can do too much damage. Um, We also have what we would consider our um, quote-unquote typical economic espionage case, and that's where a victim company in the United States uh, will have uh, perhaps identified something um, within their servers on their activity indicating that they might have lost uh, part of their or, or one of their trade secret information, and now that information is going out the door, um, either to perhaps a competitor company, um, a foreign company, and somehow being used against them. And uh, what we like to encourage those companies to do is to come to us when you see that happen, and then um, we can get involved and hopefully do something about it. And what Matt said there is really what we want to stress here at the FBI is that we really cannot investigate economic espionage without the ongoing collaboration, coordination, and communication with the company who owns that trade secret. So it's well, really a, tr- a joint partnership. Yeah, it sounds like it's it has to be. And I, I want to go back to that uh, topic in a little bit. But first, uh, before we start moving in that direction, one more question, which is which industries or technologies are particularly vulnerable or, or really of interest to foreign adversaries? Yeah, it, it's difficult to um, almost limit that down. It's tempting for me to say it in all of the above because um, we've seen targeting across so many different fields from uh, from agriculture technology to, to military technology. I think what we tend to tell folks in terms of the technologies that are the highest interest 
Um, you're going to be looking for um, technology that has a military application or perhaps a military and civilian application. So this might be um, naval technology here in the U.S. or aviation technology such as um, turbine equipment. Um, anything where um, a foreign competitor might be looking um, to gain a competitive edge. And, and most recently, we've seen it too, um, as you might expect since the pandemic, but uh, in connection with um, the healthcare and pharmaceutical industries as well. So really, to simply put, Adam, it's really a crime of opportunity and value, right? Is As companies look back and look within themselves, is what is their most valuable? What is the most profitable? And that is likely what will be targeted and can be targeted. There's a lot of risk there. Now, now, Michelle, let me go back to the topic you raised, which is companies protect themselves working with uh, the government. First, how can U.S. companies better defend themselves against these threats? So our very first suggestion is for companies to go work closely with their IT, is to kind of identify what is their trade secret and how do they protect it. As society as a whole places more value on innovation and trade secrets, technology will always advance and there are always increased opportunities and methods to conduct economic espionage. And Matt kind of referred to it earlier is a lot of it is going the cyber route, right? It's hacking or targeting and spear phishing attempts. So the very first thing is we go back and ask companies is how did you protect those trade secrets? Are you encrypting it? Are you restricting access to people that really only need access to it? And furthermore, a lot of companies who go back and realize they may have a problem, whether it's protecting their trade secrets or someone that has taken an unauthorized or had unauthorized access to it, is do they have enough logging to kind of capture that act and that incident to give them more context around that event? Uh, when the FBI goes out and interacts with companies, we always like to reference DOJ's Computer Crime and Intellectual Property section, otherwise known as CSIP's reference, what that outlines and really defines what FBI and other law enforcement will likely ask when we're starting to look at theft of trade secrets. Now, what are some of the signs internal teams need to watch out for that they may that may indicate that they are a victim of espionage? So there's a lot of red flags. First off, for employees that are outside their normal work hours? Are they coming in at odd hours? Are they downloading or moving or emailing or forward large documents? Are there large data that is leaving your network? That's some of the first clues that we see as companies start investigating whether or not they have a concern over their trade secrets or misappropriation of their proprietary information. Matt? Yeah, I would say in addition to that, um, in addition to the internal monitoring piece, um, this is where we see a lot of overlap between traditional espionage investigations and, and the category of economic espionage that we're, that we're talking about today. So um, you're looking for folks who, um, that unexplained affluence piece, folks working at odd hours, as Michelle mentioned, uh, perhaps it's someone who is downloading uh, information from their work computer or emailing um, documents from their work computer to their private email address. So all of these things are red flags, and not only are they red flags, but they can also be great evidence for um, an FBI investigator or, or prosecutor looking to looking to make a case down the line. So I, we just kind of want to add it. 
kind of everything in totality. So sometimes when someone has unexplained affluence, meaning one day they're complaining that they have large debts and the next day they suddenly are okay and come in with a Rolex or a nice car, is there a good reason for it, right? We would all love to win the Powerball and that'd be great. But pairing that with, does he have access? Did he download or she download large amounts of data, large amounts of trade secrets? And then did your network capture the movement of that data off your network to perhaps a personal email or a personal drive? And then pairing that in context with, well, what is each company's policy toward external hard drives? Is it allowed? You know, are people allowed to telework and then doing so access your trade secrets? So a lot of it is adding context to specific and nuanced situations with each employee. And obviously, if you win the Powerball, make sure your employer knows before you become a suspect. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> before you buy that uh, Ferrari. Okay, duly noted. Now, if a company suspects it's a victim, when should it reach out to the FBI and what should they expect from the Bureau? I mean, what should they have in hand? How quickly? What should they do first? Those kinds of things. So I, I am a big fan of saying you can never get the FBI involved too early. We always like to hear from our private sector partners and liaisons because honestly, we're only here to help. We are not saying it's black and white. We are just here as a reference point and based kind of on a historic experience working in theft of trade secrets and economic espionage, there are absolutely resources that FBI can provide if companies want it. So then I'm going to go back to kind of referencing that DOJ CSIP document. That's actually a great starting point for when companies, as they go through that document, can really define at what point should they get the FBI involved, meaning do they have a problem? You know, is there a large value? Is there a large amount that they lost? And can we, the FBI, help? The other question that we have and we get frequently from companies is, if we get the FBI involved, is there a way that we can get them back out? That, that is a very hard question really to answer. We're really only here to help, but I can tell you that if a company does not want to work with the FBI, it is very, we, we won't stay there and create a problem if the company is not willing to work with us. Because again, economic espionage requires a partnership. And I would like to say probably likely an equal partnership with our private sector partners. Absolutely. And we're going to need that in order to make a successful case. So um, we're going to be looking to the victim company to, you know, not only help us with the evidence that they've obtained internally uh, about what was done, but in order to make a successful case, we're also going to be looking to inter interview um, other em employees, right, who might have had contact with the subject or, you know, have someone from the company explain to us why this trade secret is particularly valuable, um, you know, why it was protected, what steps the company did take um, to make sure that, you know, or, or to try to prevent it from, from getting out like this. So um, I hesitate to say all, obviously, but I think in uh, the vast majority of, of successful cases, we've had really great cooperation with, with some of these victim companies, and we've been able to hold these folks accountable. I think another area, Adam, is some companies a lot will say, well, what if we, the company, want to pursue civil litigation? How does the criminal litigation play? Um, from the FBI's perspective, those are two separate, uh, two separate judicial outcomes and actions. Should they go that way? I would like to say that we've both worked cases, Matt and I, in which civil litigation oftentimes ran concurrently with um, 
our law enforcement investigation and did not hamper either. But again, that really worked well because we oftentimes had constant communications daily with each company, with their lawyers, with our lawyers, and we really had that openness and sharing back and forth. Well, Michelle, Matt, thank you so much for sharing these insights into what's clearly a, a, a very troubling situation, both from a national security as well as a corporate perspective. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <music>